Hello and welcome to Railfile, episode one. My name is Lou, and I'm here with Nick. Nick, how are you today? I'm doing good, Lou. How are you doing? I'm loving life right now, buddy. So this is episode one of our, our Railroad Photography Podcast. Why don't you lead everybody through just what we're going to talk about? Sure. Uh, well, Lou and I are both uh, avid rail fan uh, and railroad photographers, and uh, we both enjoy speaking to other people who are interested in the hobby. And so we figured we might as well uh, start a podcast about it. So I think we're going to try to interview as many people as we can uh, convince to get on the show, and maybe talk to other photographers, authors, and uh, people who like to travel and uh, groove on railroad photography like we do. I like it. Yeah, I've I've talked to some people and I'm like, hey, you should be on our podcast. And everybody's like, well, why don't you do a few first and you know then get back to me. So so yeah. that's that's the plan. Well, that sounds good. Yeah, we'll have we have a few in the can now, as I believe they say in the industry. So you sound like you know what you're talking about. Nice, nice. Well, I We're try, old industry I try. guys now, aren't we? Yeah, exactly. I'm an old old hat old hand. I'm an old something at this now. It's good times. So, Nick, who do we have for our first episode? Yeah, so for our first episode, we interviewed uh, Matthew Tremblay, who you might know from Flickr or Instagram. He's a rail fan photographer out of uh, Montreal, and uh, we spoke to him at length about rail fanning in Quebec. Man, I'll tell you, one of my least favorite things on earth is when, whenever somebody's from Canada, they're like, all the way from Montreal, Quebec, Canada. And it's like, we know we know what country it's in. Um, but he's a Canadian rail fan. It was, it was really cool. Yeah, we had been in touch with him quite a bit doing research for the trip that uh, uh, Lou and I just took to Quebec. And uh, we hadn't actually spoken with him before, uh, you know, using our voice. So that was exciting to actually get a chance to talk with him. It's a very 21st century sort of thing. You know, we just talked to yeah. him via, you know, emails and lot, lots of text messages from milepost nine in, uh, on the, on the exactly. Cartier. And then for our, and for our third episode, we spoke with uh, Scott Lotus uh, from the Center for Railroad Photography and Art. You might know it as CRP&A. Yeah. And uh, they do a conference every year. It's actually where Lou and I met almost a decade ago. Oh, that's true. And, uh, it is. Yeah. So it's uh, yeah, it's exciting. We had great conversations with both of them, and hopefully it's the uh, the first of many good conversations to come. I like it. So now, now Nick, let's, uh, let's talk about you for a second. Yeah, you live in the Twin Cities, or, you know, the Twin Cities area. Yes. And... Um, I yeah. don't know. Give us a give us a quick thirty second bio, maybe sure. even a minute. Absolutely. I currently live in uh, the suburbs of Minneapolis and St. Paul, Minnesota, where I've lived most of my life. Um, graduated from high school uh, here in two thousand three. Went to the University of Oklahoma, where I attempted to study meteorology uh, for a few years before the math got too hard, and I ended up with a geography degree there. Um, moved back up to the Twin Cities uh, and became a web developer. So that's what I do uh, for my day job. I'm always interested in building things. I like uh, um, I built some beds for my kids that look like diesel locomotives. I built a uh, kind of a a um, MacGyver style camera jib, uh, and I've have built you ever a- gotten that to work? 
Does that actually, uh, does it, does <laughs> I, it, has it ever worked? I, it has worked. It takes a really long time to set up and is really awkward to operate. So it was a, a fun project, but it's uh, 45 minutes to set up. So that kind of, uh, you know. Who's got that kind uh, of time? Exactly. And it really helps if you have another assistant with you who uh, is over the age of, uh, I don't know, 10 or so. It's also helpful. So I think uh, I tried yeah, to help tricky. you set your jib up and it, yeah. Was... Yeah, it's uh, it's quite a thing. So anyway, I've used that a few times. Um, it, in more successful endeavors, I built a website called Railfan Atlas, which is a kind of a, a Google Maps interface for uh, looking at Flickr's railroad photography, and that's actually pretty cool. And then uh, more recently, I built a website called Jet Tip, and um, that's a, a service that monitors flights in and out of airports to let aviation geeks know when. Uh, interesting aircraft are on their way it's kind of the equivalent of a you know the railroads have heritage units uh locomotives that are painted in special commemorative paint schemes the airlines it turns out do uh, pretty much the same thing um and generally they're they do it a lot more than the railroads do so anyway there's a large inventory of interesting aircraft out there and uh yeah jet tip will automatically let you know if they're uh coming to your airport so it's pretty nifty so that's what uh that's kind of my recent life in a nutshell. I guess uh railroad photography wise, um I think I've have a similar stories to many others where um got really into it in, in college and before kids showed up and then uh the kids showed up and suddenly I don't have as much time on my hands as I used to. So uh that's where I'm at there. I I really groove on uh, Griswold crossing signals, uh night pan shots. And, uh, yeah, that's pretty much where I'm at now. Automation comes of age with the Minolta Uniomat. No more worries about f-stop and shutter speed. New Minolta Uniomat does your thinking for you. Just turn the single ring exposure control until exposure meter indicators are matched. The built-in brain shutter automatically selects optimum combination of shutter speed and lens opening. Manufactured by Chiyoda Kogaku Seiko KK, Osaka, Japan. Yeah, how about you, Lou? What's your uh, short biography there? Oh, heck. Let's see. I'm, I'm originally from eastern Pennsylvania. I grew up in the Lehigh Valley, about an hour north of Philly, 90 minutes or so west of New York City. Grew up with Conrail. Grew up with, you know, a million SD40-2s. And uh, when I was a kid, I lived along the former Lehigh and New England main line, now the uh, Norfolk Southern Cement Secondary. So that's sort of my home road. Yeah, you know, just kind of grew up, grew up liking trains. You know, I've been taking pictures for, you know, heck forever. Um, but, you know, I think that, you know, I, my, my rail fan photography really took off just just like you. Um, I went to college in Indiana, which I have to specify as a Pennsylvanian, not Indiana University of Pennsylvania in Indiana, Pennsylvania. I actually uh, I went to IU in uh, Bloomington, Indiana. And so I was quickly indoctrinated into the world of Midwestern railroad photography. Which, oh, that's um, the best type. Yeah, yeah. As seen in Trains Magazine. Exactly. It's the kind of photography where, you know, if if it's not a three-quarter crossing telesmash, um, it's, you know, it's because you got bored and tried something different. And I really, you know, I credit 
being in Indiana for the last 15 years, you know, with really, I think, expanding my skill as a trained photographer, because, you know, there's, you know, you don't have mountains, you don't have, you know, these, these stunning vistas. So you've, you've really got to, you've got to get creative, you've got to find your own, your voice as a photographer, because, um, the Midwest doesn't make it easy. You know, I, I lived lived in Indiana until very recently. I, I have a sort of a thriving event photography company. I do a lot of sales and marketing and social media management for uh, short lines and excursion outfits. Uh, currently, I manage all the events at a tourist railroad here in lovely Stearns, Kentucky. I live in the, the the Big South Fork area of southeastern Kentucky here at this this railroad in uh, in McCreary County. If you ever find yourself in Stearns, give me a call, and uh, I'll take you out to lunch. So, so n- wow, that's a pretty generous yeah. offer. Yeah, hey, you know. As if Stearns, Kentucky was not compelling enough as it was. Uh, listen to that. Holy it's cow. true, yeah. Stearns is the home of the, uh, the Kentucky and Tennessee Railway. Which um, you know, most famously, they uh, they had Southern forty five oh one right up until it went to TVRM. Yeah, that was one of the last one of the last railroads to dieselize. They dieselized in sixty two, well, sixty three really. You know, one of one of our favorite photographers that you know Nick and I are forever sending photos back and forth. A, a guy who recently passed away, Bill Gordon. Uh, Bill Gordon took a ton of pictures here. I'm constantly out there trying to recreate those angles, which as as with any good photographer is easier said than done because what that dude saw here i mean and it's pretty here I mean, what what he shot was just i mean it also helped that he had steam engines so um yeah that that makes a little bit of a difference yeah and you know and another thing about about trying to recreate a steam engine shot is that you know back when steam engines ran uh, all that smoke took care of all the trees like really well and so you know you had a, a pretty wide right of way to shoot and you didn't have a lot of a lot of you know undergrowth we have a lot of trees and undergrowth now so um yeah it, you don't have to take too many photos of a steam locomotive before you can uh, have plenty of empathy for the guys who kind of gave up on the hobby after steam went away because holy cow it uh, makes a big difference it does uh, it, composition and drama and er- everything there it's uh yeah Whole different animal. And just the, the you know the human element you know especially on on the K and T they didn't use cabooses which you know was pretty rare but they they ran such short trains and they ran so many of them that you know they just they ran cabooseless but so especially in nice weather you know you didn't want to have five guys in the cab so almost all of Bill Gordon's shots that I've seen of the K and T running there's usually at least one guy sitting on the pilot and you know I mean. Yeah, talk about human element. You know, it, it's one thing to you know have have somebody leaning out the window with you know the the stripy the stripy engineer cap, and you know, like there's there's a dude sitting on the pilot. You know, sometimes two or three of them, and it's like, man, yeah. like. W- so they still required the five man crews there, despite not having uh, a good place to put them. Yeah, everyone. that's my understanding. And so you know, I interesting. I've been in a few Very steam cool. locomotive cabs, and none of them were air conditioned. So I would imagine that if you had the option to uh, ride open open air or ride in the cab you'd, you'd probably take the open air option so yeah i imagine so so yeah i i currently live in a place that is steeped in history you know it's really cool my office is is the old k&t office but i i can walk out on my balcony and watch the uh what's now the norfolk southern main line but you know originally the the southern the rat hole 
And right underneath my office window is um, the original K&T scale house, you know, complete with the scale still in it um, from where they'd, they'd weigh all the coal cars before they interchanged them with the Southern. So I, I really I live in a place that time kind of stands still here. And it's um, interesting. Yeah. As as David P. Morgan said about about this neck of the woods, he wrote about the K&T in the 1950s. And he said, time has a light touch here. And yeah, it's true. It's really true. The same could not be said for Burnsville and Apple Valley, the suburb that I am in here, where the nearest uh, former rail is the old Minnesota Zoo monorail, which uh, has recently been abandoned, tragically. So, yeah, time, time, time marches on here. Monorails.org <laughs> probably did a nice, a nice uh, eulogy for that. <laughs> I'll tell you what, man, I love that website so much. I was, I was out in Seattle over the summer in uh, 2017 with my dad and my brother. My little brother lives in the Northwest, and we're we're New York Mets fans, and the Mets played the the Seattle Mariners. So we all we all went to some Mariners games, and I was like, guys, we have to ride the monorail. So of course we made a lot of Simpsons jokes the entire time we were on the monorail. But yep. monorails.org is a a surprisingly comprehensive database of monorails. They they had all sorts of stuff about the Alweg monorail there. Yeah, that is a really fantastic monorail. The engineering on that monorail is fantastic because you can tell they clearly anticipated speed speeds much higher than they actually can accomplish now. It, uh, very generously banked uh, in the turns. It's fantastic. Yeah, yeah. The the super elevation was nothing short of dramatic, and um, yeah, we made sure when we well we wrote it more than once because well I mean I made them write it more than once, but every time we wrote it, um, made sure that you know we sat up front so we could you know get a get a front row seat. And it was, yeah. Oh, yeah. Soak it all in. Yeah. The uh, the monorail operator, <laughs> he was he was like, so uh, you guys into monorails? And we're just like, well, yeah, aren't you? And he's like, well, not really. No, but, you know, this, this you know, th- there was a job opening. And we're like, come on, man. Like, you're not even into it. He's like, oh, no, it's, you know, it's a, I take my job very seriously. And we're like, I, I don't know. I mean, imagine being... You have to wonder, there's got to be a guy who's done the uh, Simpsons cosplay at the monorail there with a full... Homer monorail uniform. Oh yeah, I believe it. I believe it had a cape and everything. It, it did. Fancy. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So I called the yeah, big one well, Whitey. Exactly. If it hasn't been done already, uh, perhaps we can be the first. I think we should do that. We should. We should have a. We should have a rail file meetup at the Seattle monorail. That's what we yeah. should. Yeah. I. I actually. I've been in contact with the guy who who rescued or adopted, uh, whatever the proper term is for buying a monorail. Uh, who saved the monorail from the Minnesota Zoo? And uh, I'll reach out to him and see if he might. He's he sounds like an interesting guy to chat with. So we'll see. Uh, we'll see if we can get anywhere with that. But um, yeah, I I have some plans in the work to photo- photograph the uh, Minnesota Zoo monorail in its new home. We'll we'll see if that pans out or not. So oh, that rules. So um, yeah, okay, we're talking way too much about monorails. That's good, you know. Maybe we should change the focus of the podcast. <laughs> yeah. Two guys learning, two guys learning about monorails. Yeah. This is come m- along for this. Welcome to monorail file come along for this slow and winding ride. A look into the future by reviewing the past, the story of American monorails. Yeah, this is this is going so, off the rail anyway. already, isn't it? <laughs> oh, <laughs> mono means oh. one, rail means rail. Um, <laughs> 
So anyway, uh, yeah. So Lou, you mentioned event photography. Could you elaborate slightly on what that actually means to uh, John Q. Public? Because uh, that's not something where I guess I would have necessarily understood what that is. Well, so I I shot for some newspapers in college. And um, every single person I ever talked to was like, oh, photojournalism, huh? Why don't you find something more marketable than that? And I was like, that's a really nice way of saying my photography is not not newsworthy. Um, and and so I, uh, I did what literally every person with a camera does. And I started shooting weddings. And, oh, um, yeah. Yeah. And yeah, everybody's like, well, it can't be that hard. I've been to weddings before and I have a camera. Aspiring wedding photographers, here's some advice. It usually sucks. Wedding photography is usually varying degrees of awfulness. Uh, for those of you who are thinking of getting married and have been shocked at the price of wedding photography, it's because wedding photography sucks. So I did that for a few years and ended up much happier doing things like corporate events and like large banquets where all I had to do was take pictures of people smiling and, you know, the old grip and grin, you know, like, hey, guys, you look really happy. Why don't you smile over here? Um, You know, that kind of thing. And and so that sort of turned into um, doing stuff like that at tourist railroads. Um, I'm very involved at the French Lick Scenic Railway in Scenic French Lick, Indiana. And um, around about 2009, we started talking about doing Polar Express. The Polar Express train ride is actually the real name of that event. I don't know if you knew that. And Polar Express is capitalized. It's in all caps. Um, I can tell you that from a brand assurance standpoint. Anyway, Uh um, they were like, hey, you should take pictures of little kids with Santa Claus. And I'm like, huh. Hadn't thought of that. And so uh, our first Polar Express was in 2010, uh, a hastily arranged and incorporated uh, like retail company that I started. Um, we sure. ended up photographing, you know, thousands of little kids with Santa Claus on the train. And that's when I realized that there were not a lot of people doing that. Uh-huh. And so uh, kind of grew my my railroad event photography business through that. Heck, in 2016, my company shot five different Polar Expresses nationwide, which was... That's pretty wild. Yeah, the logistics of that are are not not for the faint of heart. I, I, realized, yeah. I realized quickly that it was... That's a, that's a lot of juggling people. So... Yeah. Um, but and it turns out... So it turns out that the money to ma- be made in railroad ph- photography is primarily in the families riding on the trains... As opposed to the nice grade crossing three quarter wedge shots of the trains going by, huh? Yeah, who who would have thought that? Um, Man, yeah, I I've been I've been doing it all wrong. I unlocked the secret. Yeah, basically, <laughs> you've you've got to take pictures of kids on trains in order to huh. sell pictures of trains. So um, yeah, but kind of you know as as my business. I don't know, went rolling along in the world of railroads. Um, I, uh, I sort of I, I sort of became like this weird small business consultant marketing guy because you work with a lot of tourist railroads, uh, or they like to be called heritage railroads now. Same thing. Um, oh, heritage railroads yes, is the preferred term. It okay. is. It is. Um, and so... Uh, I I've realized that there are not a lot of a lot of tourist heritage railroads out there who are exceptionally or even slightly adept at marketing themselves. Sure. I imagine the ones that are are simply there because they happen to have a volunteer 
who has a background in marketing. And that's that's usually how it goes. And yeah. so, uh, you know, a lot of my business the last few years has been, you know, just sort of, you know, helping helping small nonprofit railroads you know, figure out the power of you know, Facebook ads or, um, you know, actual decent websites and good sure. photography and it's just stuff like that. Uh, a photography client at a at a tourist railroad and I was talking to one of their docents and I, I I've, he like summed up the entire business. He He looked at me and he said, well, you know, we don't want to market ourselves too hard because we're a nonprofit. And I said, you do know that nonprofit doesn't mean no profit, right? Yeah. <laughs> like kind of joking. And he's like, no, no, we're not allowed to make a profit. And I'm like, ladies and no, gentlemen, this is my industry. Yeah. yeah. And so, you know, it, it really like crystallized kind of everything I'd ever really thought about, you know, most of the railroads I worked with. And yeah. and so you know, the last few years I've done, I've done a lot of work with tourist railroads. I've done a lot of work with excursion programs, you know, doing a lot of marketing work because it's, it's work that needs to be done. And, um, uh-huh. you know, I'm, I guess I'm relatively young in the world of tourist railroading. Of heritage railroading? Of heritage railroading. Yes. <laughs> you know, um, you know, I'm, I'm on the board of directors in French Lick and I'm, I'm the youngest guy there by like two decades. And, yeah. you know, and that's that I'm I'm pretty involved in the Railway Passenger Car Alliance or RPCA, you know, and that's something we talk about at our conference every year is, you know, there are a lot of old dudes and there are not mm. a lot of people our age. And so um, all those of you listening out there, you know, if you if you want to volunteer at a at a small a small railroad, you know, they, they'd always they'd love the help. Um, yeah. But anyway, well, not only that, but you can selfishly use that for photography, too, of course, because. Um, well, and that is kind of where I was going with that is yeah. that, um, you know, you get all this great access and you make all these friends at all these railroads all over the place. So you end up taking really, really good pictures of a lot of operations you normally a, wouldn't have access to, or B, would never think to shoot. And so, you know, tourist railroads have really cool equipment most of the time. Y- you end up getting some neat shots, you know, and you make a yeah. lot of friends. Well, I think uh, it has a certain, it's kind of an overlooked part of the hobby, too. There aren't too many people who are shooting, who are interested in shooting museum or heritage railroading or tourist equipment. There aren't too many people who are interested in shooting um, heritage railroads because they often think at least i did anyway that you know that's something that's always going to be there it always has been there um it doesn't change and it's not interesting and so on but uh you don't have to look too far back to see that uh those heritage railroads aren't always a permanent thing and uh you know they're pretty cool sometimes they go away and oftentimes there are very few uh good photos of them so yeah, you know, I I lived in Indiana for a long time and the Indiana Transportation Museum just north of Indianapolis, you know, that's it's gone, you know. Yeah. It just it does not exist anymore and you know, I'm I'm happy that I I at least got some shots up there in the early 2000s. But you know, there are you know, the, there are there are rusty rails littered about the nation that used to have thriving tourist railroads. So, yep. you know, it, it's an it's an oft overlooked photographic topic, but there's there's some cool stuff out there. Yeah. And, and it only uh yeah, it only takes one or two guys on a board uh maybe for a publicly owned railroad to get turned into a bike trail or you never know what's going to happen. Stuff wears out and it's not always efficient to get things uh replaced, so. No, yeah, I shoot mean, it while you can. My my railroad in French Lake, we had a steam locomotive right up until the firebox 
be, fell onto the tracks and Oops. and now we're all diesel. Yeah, yeah, it's it's just that easy. So yeah. that's a that's a thing that happens. Absolutely. So so yeah, so that's that's kind of that's what I do. Um, photographically, I I shoot. I shoot a lot of film. Uh, my my Hasselblad is kind of my my favorite camera of late, but uh, I've been having a lot of fun with a Fuji six by seventeen, which um, uh, kind of similar to Nick's Foamer jib. It's uh, one of those one of those cameras that it does it it doesn't just like pop out of the bag and you're ready to shoot. You know, you gotta sort of set up your shot. It's um it's a panoramic camera that shoots medium format film. Medium format film for those of you out there is uh, two and a quarter inches tall by as as wide as you want. In the uh, case of my six by seventeen. It is six centimeters or two and a quarter inches by seventeen centimeters wide. So um, that's a big negative. Like, yeah, it's, so it's like it's like two and a quarter by seven. It's huge, and so oh. um, yeah, it, it makes some really neat negatives. It makes some some really cool images, and um, we'll add a few of those in the show notes so you can see sure. what I'm talking about. I'll even I'll put a picture of the camera itself in there because oh cool. I I don't know how many you know panoramic cameras everybody sees these days. So um, yeah. I I don't get out too much, and it's it's kind of funny because I I literally live like 150 feet from a main line. So I see like 60 trains a day, like literally one is going by right now, which that was very poetic. Um, uh, I, I don't photograph a lot of trains. You know, one of the one of the big things of my 2017 was, you know, the the trip that Nick and I took to Quebec because, you know, we like planned a rail fan trip and then we went to the middle of nowhere to shoot trains. And, you know, that was that was one of the highlights of my year just because, you know, it was a trip devoted solely to railroad photography. That was, that was pretty good. Yeah, it was it was awesome, and I think uh, it's uh, it's a privilege to be able to take a trip like that. And I think we'll also I I hope we can kind of uh, live vicariously through other rail fans who've done similar traveling. I know in our upcoming discussions with um, Scott, he's for example he's traveled to uh, Japan and China and Switzerland. I think Lou and I both really enjoy traveling, and I think this this will be a good excuse to kind of. Uh, live vicariously through other uh, railroad photographers and uh, come up with some other travel plans to daydream about. It should be a good time. Snapshots are always fun to make, fun to see, and fun to share. Fun is fun all over again when your friends see themselves in snapshots. They're glad you wanted their picture. Snapshots make close friends closer. Yes, you can count on a thrill every time you show your snapshots. And it's so easy to make good snapshots. With a brownie, you simply frame your subject in the viewfinder and click. And always use Kodak Verichrome film. It takes the guesswork out of picture making. You press the button, it does the rest. Eastman Kodak Company, Rochester, New York. We hope you've enjoyed listening to the premiere of Railfile. We'll be back next week with more episodes. And uh, if you like what you heard, like and subscribe, as they say in the world of YouTube. And if you have any questions, get in touch with us on the contact form. Nick, anything else? There is no contact form, of course, but you can email us at hello at railfile.com. Nick is the webmaster. He would know. (laughs) Exactly. Until next time, I'm Lou. That's Nick. Have a good one, everybody. (laughs) 